Welcome back to Mountain Talk. I'm Rowan Routabush, your host. On today's show, we're speaking with two railroad workers on working the rails in and around Appalachia. Yeah, when my mom died, I got written up for absenteeism, and I said, really? I'm serious. Because they gave me three days, and I took five, and they wrote me up for absenteeism when my mom died. And, uh... That was good, not a good moment for them. What, what came of that afterwards? Well, I told them, I screamed at the top of my lungs, be glad that my dad died so you don't have to write me up then. Then when my brother died, I took his uh, death certificate up in the office and waved it and said, you want proof he died? Nobody bothered me a bit at that moment. They are absolutely ruthless. That was Penny Noons, an electrician who has been repairing locomotives for Norfolk Southern since 1993 in Roanoke, Virginia. Noons has seen many contract negotiations over her 30 years of service, but for her, this one was different. At the end of 2022, President Biden and Congress intervened in contract negotiations between railroad unions and carriers. The negotiations were fruitless after three years, and unions were preparing to strike. On December 2nd, Congress imposed a contract that fell short of addressing most of the workers' top concerns. The contract negotiations then did not have this precision scheduled railroading PSR force reduction in it. You got the force reduction now, and we're, we're tired. Noons is talking about a recent shift scheduling change called Precision Scheduled Railroading, or PSR. It was first introduced by railroad companies in 1998 as a way to cut costs and became the norm in the past decade. Most of PSR is based on dramatic staff cuts. From 2018 to 2021, Norfolk Southern has cut just over 40% of its workforce, 
despite maintaining and operating an additional 300 miles of track, As we according to their annual people, reports. We're all forced over time. You never know if you've got to stay an extra four hours, sometimes two minutes to quitting time, or you got to stay four hours. Like, people don't have to get the kids on the bus. People don't have appointments. People ain't got nothing else to do but live there. Hey, don't tell us sooner than an hour ahead of time because people got to make phone calls to reorganize their morning life. I'm on third shift now, so getting off at 7 a.m., people have things to do in the morning. I've got one guy, his grandson had a broke leg. He, had, he got forced over. He had to leave work, take his grandson to school, and then come back to the shop. Because they forced him over. But they, quote, allowed him to go do that. I'm like, you pathetic. I've got another guy. They told him about 10 minutes till quitting. You got to stay. He said, nope, you got to find somebody else because it's too late. And they told him, it's in your best interest. Go take care of whatever and come back. So he left, got his kids on the bus, and had to come back to work. Norfolk Southern thinks right now that nobody has anything to do but to work for them whenever they need because they need people because they laid too many people off. William Woodring is a machine operator in the maintenance way department of CSX. Woodring said PSR puts a strain on every part of the railroading system, not just the employees. Do less with less and charge more for it. <laughs> so. They made longer trains, which reduces the number of crews they need. Also reduces the number of locomotives. You know, oftentimes the number of locomotives they put on the train is not adequate for the length of that train. And when you get these long trains, it you know, there's physical forces on the mechanical equipment. You know, when I started, a long train was a mile. Now you'll see two mile trains. The couplers and everything, they get breakage along the way. Now you got this huge train, it's got everything tied up and it reverberates across the whole system, especially when they get into terminals. You know, terminals were, weren't built for these super large trains. So when a train comes in a terminal, it's got everything clogged up and slows everything down. Now crews can only work 12 hours. Now a crew's been dealing with this super long train, having problems and they run out of time. Now, during COVID, they cut back on so many crews, they don't have enough crews to fill all the jobs. As workers and equipment are pushed harder than before, Noons fears her safety. Every time we go in, right now, the workload has at least doubled on every single every person there. We do things that need two people. We got one, and every night I go to work now. Please don't let me get hurt. And I didn't feel like that for years. After getting there, being the first three or four years, it's like, this is all new and whatever. You never get comfortable, but you understand what's going on. And once they decrease the people, it's dangerous. I, and my last year, it's like, please don't let me get hurt. Please don't let me get hurt. Would you mind telling me about some of the risks? Yeah. Okay. Um, as I decrease people, um, the electrician, me, we had to pick up the machinist job on a hill because they moved the machinist off the hill. 
I don't know what to do with brace shoes. I don't know what to do with an air check. I wasn't trained on that. They had an apprenticeship. They told me, here's a piece of paper, read it. I'm changing brake shoes. Dude, I'm guessing. The brake the brake test, I'm guessing. Down in the house, we've got a machinist assisting us to do something electrical on a crane with, I don't know, two, two to 10,000 pounds on a crane. And you're having to holler the whole time, get this, catch this. Here we go, moving this, Pedro. And the same thing with the machinist. They've got an electrician assisting them. We don't know what we're doing. So it's basically all on them, and we're just hoping we don't get hit, drop something, pinch something, break your arm, your finger, your head. Everybody is doing jobs they were never trained for. You can all run a crane, but to pull out the equipment off a locomotive, yeah. We don't know the machinist's job because we're electricians. I mean, <clears throat> machinists don't know the electrical jobs because they're machinists. So we have to help each other. And it sounds really good till you ain't never done it and you get all that weight mm. right in your face. And then you're like, what do I do? So whoever you're helping has to go back on both sides of the locomotive Hoping you don't get squished when they're trying to do something, it, it's horrible. By July of 2022, the unions told members they were preparing to print signs for a strike once the cooling-off period was over. The next day, President Biden used the 1926 Railway Labor Act to create a presidential emergency board to hear both sides and recommend a new contract. By mid-September, unions and railroads had negotiated a tentative agreement. However, it did not address forced overtime or give employees paid sick leave. Before members voted on the contract, unions agreed to extend the cooling-off period into December. As a result, when the membership voted down the contract, the unions couldn't legally call a strike. Every contract since I've been there at the railroad has been concessionary. So, you know, over the years, our standards of living have been dropping and dropping and dropping, yet the railroad's profits, you know, it's like every quarter is, is record profits, yet we get nothing out of it. You know, it's like every contract, the negotiations run past the expiration date, and it's in the benefit of the companies to run past the negotiation, you know, the, the end of the contract date, because there, you know, we get no raises during that period. And when we do get back pay at the end of it, it's like an interest-free loan to the companies. Like I was talking about earlier, it's, there's, there's no benefit for them to negotiate the contracts on time because it all works out for them. So, you know, they slow walk it every time, you know, and this is every contract since I've been here, everyone is slow walked. Noon says paid sick days were a central part of the negotiating process. We have no sick days, okay? You get sick, you, you call in, you just, you're not there one day, you lose money. Or you burn a vacation day to cover it. And, and then wherever you work, like my little area, my shop, they'll decide if they'll let you take it or not. It ain't even up to you. 
this is going to affect so many more people than just me. But there, there is, even when you go to the doctor and bring a doctor's note, they still have in writing, it's not guaranteed to get you out of a disciplinary issue. And it's like, but then when you come to work and you're sick, they don't want you there. So there's no way to win. The September contract includes a 24% pay raise over the five years that the contract covers, including back pay since 2019. Unions celebrated this alongside other small victories, such as the ability to take time off for medical appointments. Unions were also able to stop carriers from reducing train crews to just one engineer. Woodring says he felt let Woodring says he felt let down when the unions agreed to extend the negotiations into December. Congress used the time to pass a law imposing the contract on workers without their further input. When the the tentative agreement came out, you know, it was uh, the bureaucracy kind of said, well, you know, you guys have make your own decision about it, but this is why you should vote for it. You know, um, our union voted it down. I think it was around 53% opposed. And I think, you know, as far as the unions who did vote it down, it was around the same numbers. But like the machinists voted it down also. And then there was some minor tweaks made to it. And they said, oh, it's a new agreement, so you got to re-vote on it. Whether, you know, the only thing they added to it was three unpaid sick days that have to be scheduled 30 days in advance and can only be taken on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. So it was kind of like they wanted us to settle and, and accept this tentative agreement. I know my union, it was over 99% voted in favor of a strike, as also the local vote of engineers. And as far as I know, it was around those same numbers for all the unions. Yet, you know, the bureaucracy didn't want to strike. They didn't want to call it. Woodring's frustration with his working conditions and union made him join a rank-and-file committee in September. I mean, you know, not getting a raise for three years during double-digit inflation, it's, you know, I mean, I got three kids and a wife, and, you know, I, I work all the overtime I can get, but now it just seems like it doesn't have much, no matter how much you work, it's not enough keep falling further and further behind to try to maintain your standard of living you know you try to cut back where you can but you know it just gets tougher and tougher i mean we have like two union meetings a year and uh it seems like that i've had more interaction with the rank and file committee over the last three months than i have with my union for the last 20 years you know we express our feelings but does it get back up to the leadership? I don't know. I would say that my vice chairman probably takes it back to his chairman, but where it goes from there, I don't know. Rank and file members organizing amongst themselves has already stirred up some controversy in the unions. Just last week, the Brotherhood of Locomotive Engineers president of their union was voted out, and he's held that position since 2010. And he was... Uh, the chief negotiator for all the unions with the presidential emergency board. He was a chief negotiator. He was voted out and was replaced by 
an actual, I mean, a, you know, a working locomotive engineer. President has held this position since, you know, for 12 years. There was a letter that came out from the president of my union also calling us, was a socialist agitators. Don't listen to the socialist agitators. Well, I mean, maybe if you're doing your job, we wouldn't have to organize in other ways. This rank and file committee is only a few months old. Woodring says they are focused on organizing people within the unions to be more militant about getting better working conditions. We're fighting against the government. We're fighting against the carrier, the railroad carriers, and we got to apply pressure to to our union bureaucracy too, which supposed is supposed to be working for the rank and file members. But you know, this go around, it, it <laughs> they haven't shown themselves to be doing that. All we can do is try to get the rank and file more involved in trying to change it from the inside. You know, eventually that might not be enough, but right now that's kind of all we have to work with. I mean, working with the rank and file committee, we can do some, you know, put pressure in other places, but, you know, with the Railway Labor Act, it, it makes it hard. The Railway Labor Act of 1926 was written to prevent disruptions of rail service. It put in place a process for rail labor disputes beyond direct negotiations between unions and carriers. It allows for either side to call in the federal government to mediate negotiations and set status quo periods and set status quo periods that keep unions from striking. Looking forward after the disappointment of this recent contract is different for each worker. For Noons, who was retiring later this year, it's all about trying not to get hurt. It doesn't matter what I do, I am expendable. Now, during COVID, we got letters with your essential workers. I have never seen a letter like the one we got. Pretty much said, you know, you can come through a martial law, you can come through blockade, you can come through anything. You've got to come to work. Yet, now, in the contract negotiations, we don't want to give you anything. We don't want you to have sick time. We don't want you to not be at work. We want to force you over. We don't want you to have a life. We don't care that your kid's sick or they got a birthday or there's a funeral or there's anything. We don't care. We want you to be at work. You live here. They think they own us. They do not own me. I will say that. I, one of my friends at work, he's done been laid off from that place three times. The last time they laid him off, they told him on the second shift, in two days, you're furloughed. The very next morning at 7 a.m., they forced me over. I had a livid fit in front of everybody. You're going to lay Billy off, and you're going to make me work over? I'm going to do it. I have told them at work, I am going to work my age-appropriate pace. No matter what you need, I'm going to do what I can do because I will not exhaust myself before retirement for those people. I will not. I will not hurt myself. I will not exhaust myself. There will be something left when I retire.
That's all for this week's Mountain Talk. Today, you heard from Appalachian Rail Workers and Union members. If you liked this episode, you can subscribe to Mountain Talk as a podcast or stream it online through SoundCloud or on WMMT.org. I've been your host, Rowan Routabush, here on Mountain Community Radio. From all of us at WMMT, thanks for listening.